0: This is a Momentum Media production.
1: Nerd alert! Property Nerds, (laughs) the
0: home for data-driven property investors, where we uncover Australia's hot and cold markets, latest headlines and trends. 2023, it's finally here, and this is the first episode of the Property Nerds for the new year. I don't know how acceptable it is to say Happy New Year because, like, you know, is it a... Two days into the new year, you keep going, a week, three weeks, four weeks. When will the happy new year stop? That's the thing I don't know, but I'll say it to you again. If I've spoken to you before, happy new year from both myself, Arjun, co host of the Property Nerds, and joined by Lee. Happy new year. (laughs) Now, this episode has a few different trends, and some may remember us going into the three pillars of property, which are centered around finance, policy, and property. And this is just different news trends that we're seeing across the three. And we did this, I think it was three or six months ago, and we had a lot of people respond saying they loved it. So we just want to do it again, rather than going through a particular topic of research. We wanted to scatter across these three core elements. Now, before today's episode, what I do want to say is that we have had enormous amounts of support, requests, consultations for people looking to charge forward in 2023. It almost seems like 2022 was a year of unknown, uncertainty, and wondering what will happen ahead. Now, what I'm sensing is based on this huge boost of inquiry is that 2023 is looking like people haven't had enough of waiting and had enough of that time to say, well, I wonder if, and they just want to get back to life and get back to some of their goals. And that is proof of people taking charge of the future because you and your goals, you and what you can control matter most. So if that sounds like you, and it's 2023 now, and you want to really get ahead with your long-term investing journey, and you've enjoyed this podcast, or if you're a first-time listener and you you might start enjoying this podcast, you can reach out to the team at Investor Kit Buyers Agency which is investikit.com.au. have a free consultation with us and we'll take you through a little bit more about what we do, how we work, and how we can scale your portfolio using rich data insights, both in the spreadsheets and on the ground. So that's how it can work to be able to really scale your portfolio, reach out to us and we can see if we're a fit to help. And uh, you know, we go through things like portfolio mapping, research presentation, being able to also discuss more about where the areas are, what we can purchase. This goes on as clients work closely with us and something that we can share with you as well. So just to reach out, it's investikit.com.au. Now, if you're on the finance front, and obviously finance and property play hand to hand, and you're looking at either upsizing, downsizing, securing a home, or scaling your portfolio, and you'd like some support with finance, especially With some interesting trends that we'll talk about. Lee, how can people get in touch with you?
1: Yeah. The best way is on the website, hillsfinance.com.au forward slash contact. And uh, you leave contact details and we'll be in contact with you.
0: Cool. So 2023, if you'd like to get that off to a hot start with your journey, your property investing or your property buying, finance reviewing, have a chat to us and it would be our pleasure to support you on this journey. Um, just reach out that's hills finance and investigate by his agency now when it comes to this recording we're actually recording from overseas i'm not sure if we spoke about this in our last episode i think we kind of did oh, but
1: yeah we did touch
0: on it yeah we're here in thailand we've been here in the island of kosumui and uh you know i want to give a shout out to a business here called Cofit, k-o-h-f-i-t uh, we've been at Cofit training our butts off and i've got some exciting news I'm down seven kilos so far. Now, to many people who are of normal weight, that might look like a lot of lot of weight. It's actually probably two to three kilos in your world. But for bigger guys like me, taking off seven kilos, I've been trying to do it for all of 2022 and and maybe the last 10 years before that, except I've been heading in the other direction. So this year, I had a Muay Thai camp with Lee. We both jumped on it, and um, which is kind of annoying and fun at the same time. It's annoying because Lee's already super fit. And I was hoping to catch up with her or catch up to her with this camp in twenty twenty two. But now she's just getting fit to a whole new level. So I'm forever behind. But that's where we're here. We're here at Cofit, having an epic time and uh can't wait to be back in Oz at the end of this month and you know, get back to the recording from home, but yeah, that's where we've been in, in the New Year's. If you've got any exciting stories from your New Year's and do let us know when we catch up in those chats and we'd love to hear more about it. But yeah, Kofit, epic Boot Camp, like what, three times a day of training and eating super calorie counted meals. What's your experience been of it?
1: I think it's the best way you can spend Christmas because most people you guys are, well, not all people, but a lot of people are putting on pounds to Christmas pudding, all that kind of stuff, all your family feasts.
0: Wait, Christmas pudding's pretty crappy, let's be honest. Mm, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Not specifically
1: that pudding, but you're you're eating desserts for sure. <laughs> so this time round, we've been able to jumpstart the year with some really important health goals. And I think it's something to continue. And I highly, highly recommend it for other people out there. It actually, you know, health, obviously, we talk a lot about wealth creation, finance, all those things, which is very important to keep in mind but how it links to all of those things as well so it's been a really great start to the year
0: and for those uh i think we talked about the progression of my kicks from muay thai from last episode (laughs) i have to be honest i'm not quite for my fellow ufc fans i'm not quite israel adesanya question mark kick level yet that is my dream to one day be able to do it and maybe even like practice it with him one day that would be like bucket list but I've transitioned from a low kick to like a body kick pretty nicely. I uh, need to work the hip flexes a bit more for the high, but it's progressing along quite well. And I think the jab cross is there. But yeah, it's been great learning. And obviously, you can't transform to world-class UFC fighter in, in four weeks, but you can have a bit of fun and what see some improvements. So that's been us for the last three weeks, actually four weeks soon. But Lee, finance data just released. It's perfect timing. Now it's for late last year. What's the numbers showing from a national finance overview, especially as the trend of interest rates have carried on? We saw 2022 see 8 interest rate rises. Mm-hmm. Could you talk to us about what's happening on finance? Because there is some hidden trends that we can really uncover that I think will be exciting.
1: Yeah. So um, for our regular listeners, we obviously regularly go through the ABS lending indicators. There is a bit of lag in this data. So they've just released the November 2022 data. And essentially, yeah, it's showing the trends of what's been happening since those interest rate increases. So in November 2022, total housing has fell by 3.7% to $24.7 And that's following a 2.8% fall in October. And this is actually 24.3% lower compared to a year ago.
0: That's a big change.
1: home lending commitment.
0: So that is a big change. And there's two things to point out with this data. Borrowing capacities have dropped between 30 and 35%. So it was only natural for lending take-up to drop 24%. It is also coming off extreme highs. However, it still remains above the long-term averages. How about when you split it across the different types of buyer's Lee, What are you seeing there in finance take-up?
1: Yeah, so for owner-occupied housing, this fell by 3.8% to 16.4 billion and that's 24.8% lower compared to a year ago. For investor housing, that fell by 3.6% to 8.3 billion and that was 23.2% lower compared to a year ago as well.
0: Yeah, so across all data sets we're yeah. seeing that 20 to 25% decline yeah. in finance take-up and well above long-term averages again. Now, that's important to note, right? Because we're still lending out above long-term averages. And long-term averages, the data here is going back from 03 to November 22. Mm-hmm. So even after the 25% decline, we're still above 03, 07, 2010, 2013, 2016. And that was the last time Sydney boomed, right? Now, for that to occur, even though interest rates are higher than what they were in 2008, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, the whole way through, that really shows that there's still a high amount of relative demand in the marketplace, although just nowhere near the levels of what they were last year when it comes to national data. It also means that there are certain places where they're pulling down the data sets a lot. We've seen a lot of weakness in some of our bigger cities, which has naturally pulled down that national data set a lot for statistical weighting reasons, but in many other cities, they're still uh, trending along quite nicely. Lee, what are you seeing on the refinance side of things and some of these trends overall?
1: So it's quite the opposite to what's been happening with new commitments. So they separate the data for external refinancing, and in November 2022, total housing rose by 8.2%, an all-time high of $19.5 billion. So this is actually 20.4% higher compared to a year ago. That's Huge. total external refinancing. In terms of the separation for owner-occupied housing, this rose by 9.1% to an all-time high of $13.4 billion, And that's 27.1% higher to compared to a year ago. This is all pre-all those cash rate increases as well. And obviously for investor housing, 6.3% is what it rose by to $6.1 billion, and that was 7.8% higher compared to a year ago. So whilst new commitments are obviously going down, obviously since all the increases of a, in the interest rates or cash rates, there's a huge focus on the refinance. Hence, there's a refinance boom taking place right now. And obviously, those numbers speak for that.
0: This is a, an extremely important data set, and we've been watching this closely. Lee, I think this is where the media, again, has it totally wrong. Firstly, we see all this rubbish about mortgage prison Mm. and mortgage cliffs. If there was a mortgage prison, how can there be record high levels of refinances? There is no prison here. People are moving. People are transitioning. That shows that even after a 35% decline in borrowing capacities, the majority of Australians who already hold mortgages are still in position to refinance, look at options elsewhere, and attain either a better rate or product, not than what they might have been on, because they might have been on interest rates in a lower period, but at least what's best for their scenario, or some equity to also unlock for some buffers. This is really important data because what it shows. Is that there is an increase in people refinancing. There is an increase in people's capability and desire to refinance, even though borrowing capacities have dropped by a third. And it also shows lenders are hungry for the business to be able to offer cashbacks, offer things like that. Now, the last point to mention on this data is that coming back to the point of a cliff, you know, if you take time to go through data on finance, going back, many years, and you look at data on finance going back to 2018, this word cliff is a buzzword used in the media. The first cliff was interest-only cliff. Going back to all the fears that because interest-only used to literally, we worked in the banks, one click of a button. How cool was that? You would just click one button in a branch as a so we'll team member. A little,
1: you know, loading sign. And then do do approved. <laughs> done. That's how easy it <laughs> used to be. off documents on the spot. As easy as change to
0: interest-only ever. Now it's like we want to know your whole life to make sure you can service after it's done. Whatever. I'm not saying we can't be prudent. I think that if that's on, that's on. But that used to happen. And there was this huge talk about all, all these interest-only loans coming off. Mm, no cliff happened. No danger. Second cliff, fixed-rate loans. That's what we're seeing now. Exactly. Uh, fixed-rate loans are being talked about to come off end of this year. Be causing huge amounts of change, financial impact. I agree there's going to be huge amounts of change. It's just so obvious. Like someone on one, two, and three percent rates going to four, five, six, no doubt there's Big change. Difference. But you
1: Over cannot 50% difference. You Big. cannot
0: tell me that I am expecting every Australian in that scenario just to sit there, not do anything about it with all this time in advance not consider refinances, equity unlocks, buffers, not consider that they were being serviced on 55 to 7% mortgages anyway. All their credit cards that they had were assumed that they were being maxed out. All this other overtime, bonuses, commissions, they were assumed that they were only getting 80% of it, not all of it. All this rental income, people were assuming that you're only getting 80% of it, not all of it. So I guess the key thing here is we will not see a cliff. We will see many people's circumstances change, but we will not see, in my opinion, based on interest rates staying, RBA cash rate 4% and below, this huge amount of fall off of mortgages, especially with this refinancing and going, just because people are looking for better deals and that's what they do.
1: Not just that, don't forget over 70% of loans are done through a mortgage broker. So this has massively changed in the last two years, which actually correlates to this high increase since 2019. More people are going to a broker because brokers have access to 30, 40 plus different lender options. And so obviously you're going to have always generally a lender option to refinance to of some sort.
0: Really, really good point. Instead of going to
1: the banks directly. More clients are very savvy and understanding the benefits of that now more than ever.
0: That's an important point, Lee. I didn't think of that. You know, back when we were in the bank, I think that number was traveling between 40 and 50%. So You can just see the transformation that's happened. And that was
1: only in the last, this is just in the last two to three years.
0: Yeah, right. So that's huge. So in the last five years ago, it was about 40 to 50. Two to three years, it was 50 plus. Now it's at 70.
1: And this is during all this time of the extra regulation for brokers. Brokers have come in doing better and more business than ever before.
0: Massive. This is huge. And that's what's going to help Australians get the best for their finances and also be able to allow them to make sure that they can achieve investing goals ahead, buffer themselves well, and use all the different banks who are hungry for business to look after them and their family as best as they can. So interesting data on the finance. Summarizing it is refinancing is booming to bigger levels than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, Lee, if someone wants to chat about refinancing, could you remind us how to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, again, hillsfinance.com.au forward slash contact there'll be an inquiry form and then one of our team will get in contact with you.
0: Yeah. And there's not saying we've got to be uh, falling in love with the cashbacks, but they're ranging from like two, three, four thousand $4,000. It just shows that banks are anticipating a lot of movement as people want to, and which they are record levels of refinance. People want to get their best finances right as rates are rising, get equity buffers, things like that. Very important to have that chat. We've
1: been having cashbacks for a long time now, refinance cashbacks. So Lenders are continuing to extend those refinance cash backs. So that's still out there. A lot of them are re-extending back out to March and we'll see how that continues to go on from there. So there are banks out there that are offering 3k per property that you are refinancing. There's actually a few out there that are still offering that. In general though, per client as a new client coming to the bank, anywhere between 2 to 6k is still on offer. So Yeah, it's still, you know, banks are wanting to drum up that refinance business, obviously, because you can see uh, new commitments are less, (laughs) refinance commitments, uh, external refinancing is higher. And so obviously, more and more lenders want to make sure they're getting their piece of the pie.
0: Now, on the uh, note of finance data as well, another bit of interesting data that's come out is around inflation, economic data. And what we've seen is just as inflation Pipped down to end later parts of last year. It's come back up at a, you know, a little bit of a higher number. Now it's remaining stubborn, and I think it'll kind of remain a little stubborn over the coming months until it starts to trend down again. However, the main reason is many of our housing data sets are also key indicators in that inflation bucket, especially things like rent, and so forth. So rents have been booming away, vacancy rates at a very low level. But job advertisements, the local economy continues to thrive in Australia. We're hearing stories all around the globe, Salesforce, Amazon, Facebook, other companies dropping thousands and thousands of employees. And if you're one of them, I'm sorry to hear the news and uh, hopefully the fortunate conditions we're in in Australia which is the thousands of jobs on offer and available now can allow you to secure the right level of employment for your scenario. But there is a lot of positivity on that note. But when you have those opposite positivities, so you have a strong rental market for investors and also the strong unemployment and job ads, it does mean that inflation's stubbornness may stay, especially as some spending has shown to be pretty strong as well in your retail, hospitality, and so forth. But what that means is that we're likely to see a couple more rate rises into this new year. It does also, though, get some interesting data to feed in that we might have hit this potential ceiling on parts of inflation, looking at some of the data sets. And if they do feed through and start to trend down, outside of obviously the rent basket, we may look at some of those economists that made those trends. And the trends that right now that many are saying are that Interest rates will slow down mm. after a little bit of a rise. Number two is that interest rates may not reach more than those high threes up to four,
1: right. which
0: means it could be a couple of rate increases before we start to either pause or head the other direction.
1: On the touch of economists, there was an article that came out. The CBA head economist said that there should only be, from his thoughts, was would be one more increase for the 2023.
0: Yeah. Now we aren't huge fans of talking economists in property data, mm. um, because they have absolute horrible track records on that, and uh, that's another yep. conversation. But in terms of interest rates indicators, core metrics of inflation, they do a lot of deep dive into that space, and even some of our white papers at Investigate, we talked about potential for a cuts in 2023 or early twenty-four and the cycle of interest rates heading to a pause and or you know, just ending. But that may be a couple of increases away, in my opinion, just because there is still that data that's remaining stubborn and high based on what the RBA wants to see. Mm-hmm. So that's it from a finance side. Let's go over to policy. There's some interesting policy that's come out. Lee, what is happening in New South Wales, especially with 1st home buyers?
1: Well, today it just got released. And essentially what has been released is the uh, First Home Buyer Choice Initiative In New South Wales. So essentially, the first home buyer choice initiative is going to lower the upfront costs for home purchases for first home buyers who choose to opt in. So, from today, being the 16th of Jan, when we're recording this, eligible first home buyers in New South Wales wanting to purchase a property up to 1.5 million or land which they intend to build for up to 800,000 will be able to choose between one of the two following. So one is paying transfer duty, previously known as stamp duty, or an annual property tax under a new government scheme called the first home buyer choice. So first home buyer choice essentially has been designed to make uh, home ownership more attainable and faster. New option to pay an annual property tax instead of uh, transfer duty lowers the upfront costs, obviously, for purchasing a property. So instead of around what four and a half percent of the purchase price, it was roughly as an upfront cost that you have to pay in addition to your five or ten or so percent deposit. Essentially, there's a calculator you can annualize it, and it's estimated to cut two years off the time needed to save a deposit is massive for first home buyers to get trying to get on the ladder. So existing transfer duty exemptions and concessions uh, for first home buyers in New South Wales will continue to apply for eligible purchases up to eight hundred thousand. so it's it is massive. and I'm going to go through a couple of examples of how that might actually look in a real life example when you are a first home buyer.
0: Yeah, it's massive, right? That is huge. I mean, this can save people up to $60,000 in upfront costs when you're hitting the peak of that 1.5 million in purchase price. Like this is no small amount. This is generational policy shifts. And the reason why we have policy as a core subject of Property Nerds episode like this is that finance, policy and property. These three trends, massive drivers of it. Policy is a huge driver. We are going to see so much activity in the 1st term buyer take-up of this. I think it's going to be huge. So all those affordable sub 1.5 mills will see a lot of mm. demand. It's important to recognize that schemes like this are actually demand-driving schemes. Why is that important to note? It means that you want to get your act together and work as hard as you can to make it happen for you in use of the scheme. Because demand-driven policies fade very quickly. And I'll give you an example. Firstly, you're going to see a whole cash into the system, a whole amount of cash. A lot of lending to properties is going to be able to happen without people having to have two to three years, potentially even four or five years of savings. They're going to be able to bring that purchasing timeline forward. So this means the buyers of today are going to be combined with the buyers of next year, the year after, and potentially even the year after that to all be able to transact over this next 12 months. Now, yes, they're not in the best of conditions of borrowing capacity, but whoever can fit that mark is going to see a lot of activity. This then means your savings of 50 to 60K will start to translate into higher purchase prices. And that higher purchase price with more demand Will start to have that saving sit in a higher purchase price. For example, a house that might be 800 k today is boosted by a lot of buyers. Now, if they're saving, say, $30,000 in stand duty, that $30,000, what if that house moves from $800 to $900 to a million? And as it goes on, you've not saved $30,000 because in a shorter period of time, due to the influx of demand, you're paying that same amount just for a million dollar home now, but it was once $800. So it does mean that these are demand-driven schemes. They are amazing for this first subset of homeowners that are going to go into there and get the opportunity to get a first home. But as the years progress, the demand will soak up a lot of the savings and whatever that 800K property is, it's going to be a million bucks. And whatever that 30 or 40K savings is, you're not going to save it. It's just going to be in a price of a million bucks, but it'll be perceived savings because that million dollar home could have been 40 grand of stamp duty. But now it's not 40 grand of stamp duty. You're, you're saving on that. So, yes, amazing. But if you don't get involved quick in these sorts of stuff, you're just going to pay it back in the price increases caused by demand based <laughs> schemes like this. So, great for those who are going to get involved.
1: Yeah. So, I think it's really good that they've obviously allowed it up to a 1.5 mil purchase price because a lot of the current first home buyer concessions you're cut off at that 800k mark in New South Wales, and look, that's very very difficult. And you might you know you might have all the dots lined up from a finance point of view, but finding that property is quite difficult. So that's one really, really good thing there. So it's right up to equal to 1.5 mil. So a couple of things is obviously you or your partner that you're buying with needs to be an Australian citizen or permanent resident. You or your spouse cannot have previously owned or co-owned residential property in Australia nor received first home buyer grant or duty concessions before. Now, you must move into the property within 12 months of the purchase and live in it continuously for at least six months. And obviously, you must have signed the contract of sale for purchase after the 11th of November 2022. So, it's very similar to the First Home Buyers Grant that you have that requirement to live in that property for at least six months. And I mean, I guess...
0: We're gonna see. It. We're gonna see a lot of funny business here. I'm telling you right now. We're not
1: circumstances ab- change, obviously, yeah. and people might invest those property, uh, create those, uh, turn those properties into investments. Uh, so yeah. Look, so I mean, see that
0: we're not advocating anything. We're not here saying that you should. I'm just telling you that it's gonna happen. That's all. Oh, it's gonna happen. We're gonna see a whole bunch of quote unquote first home buyers that were rent investors waiting for something like this to happen and they're going to get a crap load of savings by getting a first home with this benefit Mm. and their circumstances may change and that will mean they may not live in this for as long as they thought and this will turn to an investment property and as a result they're funds are further replenished to go and buy that next property. So whatever it does, though, the main thing is it has even circumstances changing, quote circumstances, there is going to be some benefit. And the benefit is less Australians relying on pensions, Mm -hmm. more long-term revenue for the government, transaction volumes still for subsequent buyers on stamp duty. And if it turns into an investment, we're going to see a lot of rental properties come into the market rental vacancies are super low. Now, the main thing is people shouldn't do it just based on its investment potential to save money. You still have to look at future investment potential of a location just because it is still only New South Wales and there may or may not be the right locations that are the closest to you. So growth will always outweigh savings on some transaction. But massive news, huge result, first home buyers, massive, massive win for you. However, This is not going to be a win for the first term buyers three, four years later. I can tell you right now, it's important to get into this stuff. Data has proven that. Home buyer schemes are demand drivers. Mm-hmm. There are affordability wins for that segment of buyers that get in, but then they become demand drivers, which means prices grow. So that money will get soaked up very quickly. But it's important to go out there, get involved, because this is huge savings and will offer many people stability, the home that they've wanted, the roof over their head, an opportunity to get into the market, grow wealth for long term, and so forth. So big news there on the property side. Now, from a perspective of policy, that was really the main one we wanted to cover. And going into property trends, I wanted to start off by sharing the results for 2022. So CoreLogic tracked national dwelling value changes. And it's important to recognize, we talk about this all the time, national dwelling values don't really make any meaningful difference to any property investor buying a property because you end up buying a property in a street, in the suburb, in an area, in a city, then in a state, then in the country. So the national volume is so many data sets away from you, you can still make phenomenal individual property decisions that outperform the market, which we do regularly. So since 1982, six major declines have happened over a year. And this is interesting. Major was described as national values falling by 2% or more. Can you get that for a moment? 2% or more. Mm. Lee, like, how lucky are we as a country? Major declines are described as 2% or more. Like, that is super lucky, right? That just shows over 40 years, from 1982 till now, the strength in long-term investment in property. Over 2022 calendar year, CoreLogic reported a 5.3% decline in property markets. The second highest... Only to the 2008 period, GFC, which was 6.4% in decline. So, from that perspective, when you've got six major decline years of 2% or more, with the highest being 6.4% in one year, that was 2008, over 40 years, this should really put things into perspective for long term mm-hmm. property investing in Australia. Hearing this straight away, when I think of our decisions we've made to date and the decisions we want to make ahead, I'm so glad we've picked up the number of properties that we did over the last 12 months and over the last seven years. And the reason why I keep thinking about this is that the track record of 34 out of 40 years nationally to produce phenomenal capital gain results over the long term and only see the biggest decline on records at 6.4 over just one year before a 10.9 bounce back that year after, which is 2009. That just showcases how lucky we are as a country, but also property investment long term. And so, if you've been in that state of mind thinking about, oh, the last year interest rates, this, it's really important to think about how long term investing will protect you and has protected many generations to date. Now, going into the next data set, I wanted to talk about a drop in supply. You know, a lot of building industries, a lot of bank conversation and uh, heads of building uh, economists at BIS Oxford even reviews from you know local Victorian home new home building industries have released some insights recently and so has ABS and it really shows a huge decline in the building approval trends now this is quite important to recognize because this is the lag effect starting to show of certain interest rate increases Uh, taper off in demand and as a result you know we've even got housing industry association economist tom devitt talking about suggestions that no more interest rate hikes are necessary and we may have already gone too far we've already seen people pulling back from the new home market and there is a concern now that people will either delay their intentions to buy or they will have to bail on the process halfway through uh, BIS Oxford Economics senior economist Marie Kilroy was even talking about Victoria's decline in new house approvals, driven by a combination of rate hike impacts, borrowing capacity, high land, and construction costs, where they are now forecasting declines in the state's building economy for up to two years. Ms. Kilroy mentions, we do expect that activity will continue to slide for 2023 until those factors that are dragging stabilize. We expect a year or two of quite weak activity across the building sector nationwide, and Victoria will naturally follow the national trend. So why is this important to note? We talk about the fundamentals of housing in one of our research papers, and supply was the core issue. Housing supply for established properties are already at low levels. And we're already seeing catastrophically low levels on the rental market. New building is extremely important to this country. New building from an economic standpoint and all the flow on of direct and indirect jobs, as well as new building from a rental supply and new building from a housing supply. This is where when you see these trends continue to head downwards and continue to decline, they have lag effects, but many people will not see it in the charts, in the in the insights in and around them, their discussions with friends, at least for one to three years. So What this means is that as trends on macro money markets start to stabilize, and as we start to reach certain points, whether it be pauses in interest rates, changes in borrowing capacity, or declines the other way, you move into the seesaw of demand and supply. One end demand pulled away in certain areas due to finance changes, and then demand comes back on as those changes pause or recede the other direction. And then all of a sudden, the supply angle is just not going to match it. We're already in shortfall on rental sides. We're already in shortfall of for sale. And we may be even further in shortfall when we start to see trends like this emerge in the building industry. So keep an eye out. And what that simply means in the summarized version is over the next two to three years, building approvals are continue to see negative pressure Just because of the trends that we're seeing right now. Also, I guess many listing trends that we're talking about, and many were hoping for a lot of stock to come on to fulfill buying below peak or buying when there's discounts or deals. It's clear that the trends we've discussed today from lending and refinances, and it's clear that from supply levels across Australia that we've seen, that there just is not this glut of supply coming to the market where people are just licking their lips and being able to buy super discounted deals all the time, anywhere and everywhere. So it's important that recognize this because this is where recoveries happen in many cities as supply levels taper off, new building slows, rental increases continue to emerge. And if we do end up reaching to a tipping point of the pause, interest rates see and hold and potentially decline, then from there, many of those cities that have seen some declines may start to see their recoveries increase even quicker. January tends to be a month where buyers come back in motion and they see a lot of you know, stock hit the market and they see a lot of the stock and the equilibrium starts to happen and then you start to go into these cooler months as time goes on. However, this month, those buyers have come back on. We're seeing on-the-ground reports across the country from open homes, 10, 20, and even up to 100 to 150 people at open homes in parts of Adelaide, even and parts of regional Australia, we're not seeing the stock levels match it. So that imbalance is returning again. How much that imbalance returns again is largely driven by the local economic and stock conditions. But then, of course, in many markets sensitive to interest rate rises, as you've seen in Sydney and Melbourne and surrounds, and even parts of Brisbane, we'll see those trends remain a little bit slower and continue to be slow until that cycle starts to shift. So that's it from us on the property trends. If you'd like to know what our thoughts are for some trends for Australia, last month we talked about in the previous episode, the seven trends that we expect for 2022. It's a whole research paper on that, actually, and it's totally free to download. You can get that amongst many other research white papers for 2023, not twos, trends, and that's 7 trends for 2023 investikit.com.au and slash white papers. Now, checking that out, it's free to download, and you'll see many other white papers that also share more about housing fundamentals, overvalue, undervalue. And on that note, next month we release, actually this month, we release the overvalue, undervalue update. Considering all the interest rate changes, we have seen many cities increase in their overvalue rate, and that's why they've been more sensitive to interest rate rises. But we do have a few hidden gems across the country where they continue to remain undervalued. And as a result, when we correlated those stats to growth over 2022 and decline over 2022, we found very much that the undervalued locations held up better amongst interest rate Rises, so that's the key trend for 2022. And we saw many growth locations in 2022, as we will in 2023, because they remain undervalued, because their local economies are strong, and housing supply is extremely undersupplied. So this is the year of where property investors, not just buying property. This is a where you buy property, and then what you buy. This is the year of 2023, and how it makes it very different to what you've experienced over 2020 and 2021. That's it from us here at The Property notes. Thanks so much to tuning in on finance, policy, and property trends. There is a lot out there from declining supply, huge news for first home buyers, and refinance boom very much alive in Australia whilst new finance falls off a fair bit. It's important to have a look at your own finance, reach out to Lee and the team at Hills Finance, or if you're looking to grow your portfolio in 2023, investorkit.com.au. Speak soon. On to the next one. Game over.